One of the lessons of leadership is you have what you tolerate. And as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. And I don't want to make you mad at me before I even begin preaching this morning. But as I was back there worshiping, the thought came to me. What exactly are you believing for? Lord, I believe. But it's not enough that you say, Lord, I believe. I need to question this morning and exactly what it is you're believing for. See, some of you are so negative and, and so lost and so undone and so carnal and so unforgiving and so unfaithful that what you're believing for is exactly what you have. You believe life is nothing but chaos and chaos follows you around. You believe that you're going to be let down and disappointed so everybody lets you down and you're always constantly disappointed. You're praying to a God to do things for you that you are not willing to let go of yourself. See, the Bible says that as a man in his heart believes, that's what he becomes. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So let me break that down for you. What you believe in your heart becomes an abundance, an overflow. Out of the overflow of the heart is what your mouth begins to project. And what your mouth begins to project, the power of life and death is inside that mouth of yours. What your mouth speaks creates the world that you have believed for. If you constantly believe that everything is bad, guess what you got? If you constantly believe that you're sick, if you constantly believe that your children are heathens, if you constantly believe that your marriage is falling apart, if you constantly believe that everybody's out against you, if you're constantly believing you're a victim, if you're constantly believing that nobody at church likes you, if you're constantly believing that all the people at work are idiots, guess what? You have what you believe for. So, Lord, I believe, but check yourself this morning. Before I, I, I don't want to make you upset with me, but I, I, I just feel like you need to, what some of us are praying with our mouths is not corresponding with what we're believing in our hearts. Lord, I believe. That's why you got to get yourself out of the equation. Because the only thing you ought to be believing is what you find written in the Word. When Satan took Jesus up on the mountain, he started tempting him to believe other things other than what the Lord had said. But Jesus' answer was always the same. Thus saith the Lord. If you get the Word in you, if you hide this Word, David said, hide this Word in me that I won't sin against you. If you get this Word inside of you, you will believe what God believes. And guess what? There's no power in hell. I said there is no power in hell that can stop what he has said from coming to pass. He's not waiting on you to do it. He's done it already. It was done 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. What he's waiting on is you to agree with him that it's already done. Lord, I believe. Just say that out loud. I believe. Uh-huh, but what is it you believe in for? Because I'm prophesying healing and wholeness and prosperity. Hear me, church. Oh, I'm back to the old me now. I'm, I'm done with this whole we've been hiding in a cave for a year thing. I'm talking about I'm believing that God is about to bring a season into somebody's life that you have not yet been walking in. I, it's not that it hadn't already been bought and paid for. Jesus done that already. He's just waiting, waiting on you to say, you know what? I am good and ready to cast off all this mess that has been holding me back. I don't care who looks at me funny. I don't care who makes fun of me. I could really care less if the devil gets mad and it hair lips everybody around the block. I am ready for something to happen. I'm believing for something. Hallelujah! So I speak wholeness over somebody's marriage this morning. I speak healing over somebody's mind. I speak healing over somebody's mind. A mind that's been trapped in confusion for far too long. Devil, loose it and let it go. As I speak the word of God this morning, somebody's 
entire future is changing right here right now we're not waiting on a 12 step we're not waiting on counseling we're not waiting for somebody to come along and bless us right here and right now the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it's doing its work right here right now and if you can believe what God has said close your eyes lift your hands to heaven and receive this morning Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. We have the victory, church. I said we've got the victory. I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory because it's already been won for me. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I've got the victory. I, I, I've heard in the church my whole, uh, my whole life, we have the victory. But you know what? I just want hell to hear me say it this morning. I've got the victory. I don't know what you got. You might have a fever, you might have a cough, you might have the, the COVID for all I know, but I got the victory. I don't know what you walked in here with. I'm tired of depending on somebody else to give me the victory. I've already got this thing in the form of the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus Christ, my Savior. And if you got the same victory I got, why don't you give him about 10 seconds of praise before I begin my word. Thank you, Jesus. I've got the victory. Oh, hallelujah. You can be seated in His presence this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for those of you that are watching online. Thank you for making it out this morning. God is stirring something up in me. I don't know exactly the direction it's going to take yet. I don't know exactly how the manifestation of it's going to come out. But man, He is. I haven't felt this way probably since everything shut down and the world stopped turning and everything uh, turned black for a season for a whole lot of people. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm believing, I've been declaring all year that God was going to bring something positive out of all the negative, that, that we were claiming souls for the kingdom. The devil made me so mad, uh, stealing so much from so many people that I'm just claiming uh, souls. I'm going right over the devil's head and taking it right to Daddy God, and I'm professing and proclaiming that some good things are happening. This morning I want to begin, uh, uh, I'm going to uh, begin a uh, couple of weeks of some very intense personal preaching. I have been preaching a series entitled, I'm Better Than This. This is the 10th installment of this series. I'm going to do this until Father's Day is my plan, Lord willing. Give me strength. I'm going to preach this until Father's Day Sunday. And after that, I don't know yet. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to, for the next several weeks, be dealing with some very, let's just call it intensely personal things. I'm going to be talking about and touching some nerves in your spirit walk. For the last few weeks, I've been dealing with issues. I told you that there are some sins that the church just deems uh, acceptable. We stopped cheating on our wives and our husbands, and we stopped cussing people out and going to clubs, but there's some stuff that we just brought on into the church, and we don't talk about it. You know, like preachers don't talk about gluttony no more because we don't want nobody to get upset with us and leave the church. Some of the stuff that we just don't, we don't bother to mess with, but we carry it around with us and not realize the damage it does. I'm going to start this morning... In Acts chapter 4, I'm going to use a lot of scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to make you word drunk this morning. But I'm going to start with one scripture out of the book of Acts chapter 4. Now before I go over to Acts chapter 4, let me remind you of what happened in Acts chapter 3. There was a brother there laying by a gate called Beautiful. Peter and John, as it was their regiment, was going to the house of God to pray. They encountered this brother who was lame. Peter said, silver and gold have I none. He was begging them for some money. But such that I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up. Bible says that brother leapt to his feet, went running into the temple, running and leaping and praising God. And the story 
if it stopped there, it sounds like a great church service. But it doesn't stop there. We don't know what happened to that brother other than he went and told a bunch of people what happened to him. And the people that didn't like Jesus in the first place took great offense to it. Peter and John are preaching. They're preaching something that Jews don't want to hear. They're preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They're preaching that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. They're preaching that Jesus is the reason that this lame brother is now running and leaping and praising the Lord. Because the Jews didn't like the message, they arrest Peter and John, and they put them on trial. That brings us to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, they're standing there on trial for preaching, and they keep on preaching. Oh, I wish I had a whole morning just to talk to you about hypocrites. I don't have time this morning to dive into this, but some of us keep talking about being willing to go to jail for our faith, and we won't even get out of bed on Sunday morning and get to the house of God. But these brothers are on trial for preaching, and they stand in front of the judge and the jury and keep on preaching. And here's what they say in Acts 4 and 13. All right, this is not what they said. This is the reaction that they received. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. But this is the point I want to preach on this morning. This one sentence is going to bring a lot of message this morning. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I'm going to say it a third time because I really want it to set in. They recognized their Facebook page. They, they recognized their Instagram. They recognized their Snapchat as people who had been with Jesus. They recognized the way they sent text messages. They recognized their attitude at Walmarts. They recognized how they comply with those in authority as though who had been with Jesus. Did you hear how quiet it got in this mortuary? I began this series with the premise that we can do better. That we can do, no matter where we are, no matter where you presently find yourself, you can do better. And over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to be challenged with that fact. I can do better. I'm better than this. I wonder if people recognize you as somebody who has been with Jesus. Oh, I know you've been with the world. I know you know emoji. I know you know trifling. Y'all ain't going to help me. I recognize that you know uh, uh, texting, and, and I recognize that you know all about the desperate housewives of this town, that, and the other. I know you know about the sports heroes, and I, I, I know you've been with your TV. I know you've been with the Internet, but if I met you and didn't know you, would I recognize you as somebody who has been with Jesus? Y'all not going to help me this morning. I'm going to have to preach this all by myself. Without a doubt, I've been preaching this gospel for 25 years. I've been a senior pastor for over 20. And without a doubt, the biggest problem that we have in the church today is that of a lack of spiritual maturity. I didn't say physical maturity. Spiritual maturity. We got ourselves into all kinds of problems in the church because we say immature things. We make immature decisions, and we act out in immature ways. We need to become spiritually mature. Oh, let me just say it in my hillbilly vernacular. We need to just grow up. There are too many babies in Christ sitting in church pews today. Let me break this thing down for you. Spiritually mature people reflect Jesus in everything 
they do. Now, this is not a new problem. This did not originate with promise of victory. Paul scolds the Corinthian church for their lack of maturity. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he treats them like the babies in Christ that they're acting like. I wish to goodness that somebody would get this in their spirit this morning because I challenge you, how would you like the pastor to come up and not quote Paul? But how would you like to be in church on some Sunday morning and hear the pastor come to the pulpit, look at you with his finger extended and say, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food because you wasn't ready for anything stronger. And you're still not ready. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of each other. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? Paul says, church, we got to grow up. See, God's will for you and your life is not a mystery. His will for you is for you to grow up, for you to become spiritually mature. One of the reasons for the church existing is to help you become spiritually mature. The purpose in having a pastor that will teach the word and not be afraid to tell you what might hurt your feelings is to help you become spiritually mature. Anybody can tell you what you want to hear, but it takes a man or a woman of God to break a word down for you that will challenge you to grow. I'm better than this. So how do I get better? By becoming mature. By growing up. But what exactly is spiritual maturity? I've got a little gray in my hair, what hair I have left. When I would preach on spiritual maturity in my 20s, people looked at me strange. Because they would say you wet behind the ears. I used, you know what I used to get all the time when I first moved here? I've been here almost 20 years. October would be 20 years. When I first moved here, every store I went to, I got two things. I still only get one of them. The first thing I would get is, you're not from around here, are you? I'd say, what gave that away? After I've lived here for 20 years, people say, where are you from? I say, we're... They say not originally. I just got that yesterday from a guy. He was across the tree, uh, creek and was, uh, well, I just say it to him. He was drunk. And he was talking to me. And after about four words come out of my mouth, he went, you're from the south. I said, no, I'm, not. I'm from Weirton. I live right over there in the bowl. I, people, people used to say that. And the second thing they'd say is, what do you do for a living? I'd say, I'm a pastor. They'd say, you're too young to be a pastor. I don't ever get that no more. I still get the whole, you ain't from around here. I ne nobody ever tells me anymore, you're too young to be a pastor. So at some point, I broke over. So I can say now, when I talk about spiritual maturity, I don't get that look anymore. I used to get that raised eyebrow. When I would preach on spiritual maturity, people that were much older than me, been in the way a lot longer than me, they would say things like, you ain't been through nothing yet. Well, I've been through a few things now. I've seen a few things now. And so I want to talk to you this morning about becoming spiritually mature. But before I can tell you what spiritual maturity looks like, I'm going to tell you what it's not. Can you help me? Number one, spiritual maturity can't be measured by a calendar. Let me say up front, if you're going to be become spiritually mature, it will take time. It will take energy and it will take effort. Nobody becomes spiritually mature overnight. It used to crack me up when some folks would come up to the altar and get saved on a Sunday night service, and by Monday they are trying to instruct me on how to run the church. You've got you to take some time to grow into this thing. The Bible says even as Jesus grew and grew up, that he increased in wisdom and stature, and he increased in favor with both God and man. But here's the warning. You can get older and not grow spiritually mature. 
You can't measure spiritual maturity by how long you have occupied a spot in a pew. I have seen 60 and 70 and 80 year old babes in Christ. Spiritual maturity involves a whole lot more than just having a lot of candles on your cake. Spiritual maturity takes the, into account that you are growing inside, not just outside. The second thing that spiritual maturity is not, it is not gauged by how much scripture a person memorizes or by how many years they've been a member of some church. See, some folks sound spiritually mature. They know how to talk the talk. But some of those people also know how to front. Because they quote scripture out of one side of their mouth. Y'all ain't going to help me. And out of the other side of their mouth, they talk about the pastor. They run down the pastor's wife. They talk about people that don't look like them. They talk about folks from another town. They always making off-colored suggestions. So what's coming out of one side of their mouth ain't matching up with what's coming out the other side. And Jesus said bitter and sweet water can't come up out of the same well. Some people sound spiritually mature when you meet them in the pew on Sunday. But I don't gauge a person by who they are on Sunday. I'd like to meet them at Walmart sometime when the place is chaos and the lines are out the door. I don't even have to meet them. I just check their Facebook later. They'll tell me everything I need to know. Almost titled this message, Is Your Facebook Saved? Because when I ask you, you lie to me and tell me you are. But I can look at your Facebook and see that it ain't. Some <laughs> appearances can be deceiving. Spiritual maturity is not a matter of what a person looks like or sounds like on the outside. See, for years and years and years, I went to the old-time church, okay? I went to the church where all the men wear suit and ties and all the women wear the dresses and have their hair up in the buns. And I, mean, I went to the old church. And for years and years and years, I kept that mindset, and there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to wear a suit and tie, brother, come see me after church, and I'll wear one with you next Sunday. I still like suits and ties, but they ain't nearly as comfortable as what I'm wearing right now. But you know what irritates me in 2021? Folks that are more concerned about how the pastor's wife and the pastor dress than they are about souls dying and going to hell, that bothers me. It bothers me that somebody who's already in the kingdom ain't concerned that there's folks still outside the kingdom, but their main concern is how you are dressed or how your kid is acting in church. That bothers me because that's not a mature Christian. A mature Christian says there ain't but one thing that's important in this life. Are you saved? That's all that matters. I ain't about to get bent on you because you got a tattoo. I'm not about to get upset with you because you got some part of your face pierced up. Because are you saved? When you stand in front of the King of glory, he will not say, I would let you in, but you got one too many tattoos. Eleven was my limit, and you got twelve. He ain't going to look at you and say, I was building you a mansion up here, but you got that nose ring, and I had to go ahead and just get a wrecking ball and demolish it. That is not my king. My king cares about one thing and one thing alone. Are you saved? And spiritually mature Christians care about that. I'm going to say that again. We care about building the church for them, not us. Spiritually mature people want them to have what we have. Not worry about getting more of what we already got. See, spiritual maturity is when your attitude gets saved. Your spirit got saved when you accepted Jesus. But spiritual maturity is when your attitude gets saved. And then your character starts looking like Jesus. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of James. It's written by Jesus' brother. I like Ecclesiastes and I like James. They're my two favorite books of the Bible. And here's, I never realized in the beginning when I first got saved why I like James so much. After I started reading more of the Bible and getting a little older and coming to grips with my own self, I realized why I like James so much. We can argue over who the two prophets are in Revelation 11. We can argue over what happened to Enoch. We can have social and civil discourse 
about a lot of the types and shadows in the book of Revelation. Who's the pale rider on the gray horse? What does it mean that he's going to come and turn all the water to blood? Is that literal blood or is it an analogy for something else? We can have discourse over that. But James is crystal clear. I like James. When you read his book, James gets right up in your face and says, if you're saved, act like it. If you're going to claim to be a Christian, if you're going to follow my brother Jesus, when you go out there, could you change something? I mean, could you just do a little better than what you've been doing? This is James. James gets right up. Everything he says is crystal clear. And he provides us a manual for spiritual maturity. I'm going to run through it real quickly with you if you'll, if you'll uh, uh, give me some time. We're going to start in James chapter 1. Dear brothers and sisters, this is verse 2. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity to cry on Facebook. Oh, it don't say that? Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The first thing I want to show you this morning is if you want to do better, you got to learn how to be positive under pressure. You have to learn how to be positive under pressure. Let, James is teaching us here in chapter 1 that we all have trouble. We all got problems. We all go through trials. All of us have situations that are not pleasant. But the question is not how often it happens, how bad it was, but how do you handle them when they come? Do you blow all of your problems out of the water? Do you get uptight? Do you grumble and complain? Do you get negative and nervous? The first test of spiritual maturity, and I can lose half of the room right here on this one point. When bad things happen to you, do you keep it to yourself or do you feel the need to tell everybody how bad and mad you are? This is the first test of spiritual maturity because the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Anybody can fall apart. But people who believe this word should do better than that. Folks, here's a fact. Life is hard. Uh -huh. and, and, and the bigger part of life is not running around screaming the victory. The bigger part of life is problem solving. The older I get, the more I realize that I have created most of my chaos. Oh, I'd love to blame my kids. I'd love to blame my wife. I'd love to blame all of you fine church folks. But I have done more damage to my mind than any devil that hell has ever sent to me. I have made mountains out of molehills. I, I have made stuff up out of whole cloth. I have made scenarios happen that never happened. I've made people talk about me that wasn't even concerned. Y'all ain't going to help me. I have had arguments with my wife that never even manifested. I know I'm the only brother in this church that, that's going to. But I have argued with her driving my truck down the road. I'm going to make this point and I'm going to make it plain. I mean, I'm going to get in preacher mode and we get home and the whole fight falls apart because she doesn't forgot what it was that we's mad about in the and I've done made an outline I got three points I got a conclusion I'm gonna have an altar call we're gonna get down to business and she done forgot we was even fighting let me down disappointed me what is wrong with that woman I've done more damage to me than anybody on the face of the planet all because I don't have the right attitude when problems come. Let's look at James chapter 2, verse 8. Yes, indeed, if it is good when you obey the royal laws found in scriptures. Love your neighbor. If I had one point to preach 45 minutes on, this would be it. The second thing I want you to know is if you want to be better, if you want to be spiritually mature, you're going to learn how to be sensitive to other people. 
I'm going to say that again because I really, really needed to sink in. You're going to learn how to be sensitive. I didn't tell you to be a doormat. I'm not saying that you got to acquiesce. I'm not saying that you have to give everybody their way. But a mature Christian knows how to be sensitive. The best key on the whole keyboard is delete. The best function on social media, block. Because it helps you maintain your integrity. When you can't keep but to tell them what you think, delete. Because a spiritually mature Christian is sensitive. Look what James says. It's good when you obey the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. A spiritually mature person does not just see their own needs. They're aware that other folks have different ideas than they do. Republicans that are saved and are spiritually mature understand that they're also saved Democrats. Oh, I know, I know. Go ahead and look at me in that tone of voice. But me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you. Because I can say also that there are people in churches today, maybe even in this, that have struggled with their identities they've had abortion they've went through divorces they've cheated on spouses they've wondered about their sexual identities and they love Jesus go ahead go, go ahead this is 2021 church we're tired of hiding under rock neck like all of you came out the womb speaking in tongues because I've been around you I know better for far too long, we have ignored the obvious. We ain't perfect. We have ignored talking about it because we're afraid sin would get in. But the problem is, a mature Christian is sensitive to other people. And, and, and we have turned the church into, I want, I want, my name's Jimmy and you ought to give me. We turned the church into, oh, I'm here, pastor, bless me, feed me, give me something. I'm here. Instead of making a place where we serve, We've come to be served. But saved people should serve people because you ought to think more highly of them than you do yourself. Uh -huh. I want, I want, I want. And if the pastor don't give it to me the way I want, if they don't sing my songs, if I don't like the way they set up the stage, if I don't like the ply of the toilet paper in the bathroom, I'm just going to go down to a church where I feel more accommodated. But God tells us to love. That means be concerned with other people. That is a sign of spiritual maturity. James tells us, if you read the book of James, and I don't have time to, he says, don't you be prejudiced against somebody that don't look like you. He says, don't you show people favoritism. If you've got two people sitting at the table, don't you give one of them a better seat than somebody else. He said, don't be a snob. He tells us not to be rude. He says, don't look down on somebody just because they don't look like you. Don't judge people by their appearances. Don't insult people. And he says, don't exploit nobody. And here's what Paul said, because Paul took it to a whole other level. Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians 13 and says, You know what? I can build big churches, preach fantastic messages, sing like C.C. Wines, have Christian CDs in all the Bible bookstores, write my own books and outsell Bishop Jakes, but if I don't have love, it's like dinging on a cymbal. It's making a lot of noise, but it ain't doing a thing for the kingdom. Oh, can I tell some Christians on this Sunday morning without you getting too upset with me that just because we have found our place in the body of Christ doesn't mean everything we're doing here is impressing up there. I don't want to be impressive here, but I want when I'm done to hear well done thou good and faithful servant whether you like it or not can't be my motive I've got to be trying to impress heaven in these last days which leads me to my next point that brother James is going to teach us the third thing if you want to be spiritually mature you're going to get to be a master of your mouth and in 2021, we can put slash your keyboard too. Look what James chapter 3 verse 2 says. Indeed, we all make 
many mistakes. Boy, that's a good sermon right there. We all make many. Why are you pointing at mine? When we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So whoever said sticks and stones will never hurt me ain't never heard what they said. Because what we say is important. That's what James says here. We get ourselves into a whole lot of trouble by what we say. James gives us some illustrations on how the tongue can get you into trouble. He says the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. He says it's like a spark that starts a wildfire. He says it's like a wild animal and it's like a spring that springs up out of nowhere. He says that when you put a small bit into a horse's mouth, you can control the direction of a 5,000 pound animal just with that one bit in its mouth. He said a small rudder placed on a large boat can control the destiny of that vessel. But the tongue is small but it has big impact. And it directs where you're going. And if you don't believe that, you haven't been paying attention. Because the internet's made this point even more important. Because nothing goes away forever. They'll go back to 2012 and find something you said and cancel you. You're not even the same person anymore. You don't even believe that way. I, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to stand up here this morning and be an honest Christian. I know that that shocks many of you because you've never met one, but I'm going to be the first one. There's been things that I have believed that I no longer believe that way. Oh, me and, me and Sister Sarah, thank you. There have been things. I have not been the same person in my 20s that I was in my 30s that I am in my 40s. I used to think things were a certain way that now that I've done a little bit of living, I don't think that way anymore. I'm not so dogmatic to believe that everything I thought when I was 21, that I was so wise that it never changed. No, no, no. There's things that I thought back then that I don't think anymore. I have changed because I've educated myself. I have I've dug into history and I've looked at socioeconomic situations and things that I used to say, I don't say anymore. Oh, I'm going to go one step further and tell you that I haven't always been a perfect preacher because I have preached things that I have had to come back years later and say, you know what? I used to believe it this way, but now that I've done some more study and digging in, now I preach it this way because this is what I believe. So so what I'm trying to tell you is this. You can get yourself into trouble by not being the master over your mouth because people listen to what you say. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 tells us this. Everything. Say everything. Say everything like you mean it. Everything. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 29 that everything that comes out of your mouth should be a blessing. A blessing. Everything you say to somebody should be a blessing to them, a gift to them. Uh-huh. That's a mark of maturity. Number four, if you want to be spiritually mature, you need to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. This is where I get in trouble. James tells us in James 4 and 1, where do you think all these wars and quarrels come from? You think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside of you. James says you're fighting with each other, but the fight started inside of you. The fight begun because you're not mature inside of you and you don't know how to keep your mouth shut. James is talking about the way we fuss and fight and fume because we have an opinion that's different than somebody else. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. So the question you need to ask yourself this morning is, are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? Do you like to argue? Do you appreciate the debate? 
Do you like to stir the pot even if it hurts somebody else's feelings? Because I'm going to tell you, I hear Christians all the time and see posts on the internet about things like, I'm just standing up for Jesus, but Jesus wouldn't stand up that way. Because Jesus wasn't about proving his point at the expense of somebody's feelings. He wasn't trying, listen, I'm going to tell you, you ain't going to argue nobody into church. You ain't going to argue anybody into heaven. And if there's no value in getting them into the heaven, why would you put value in the argument? Are you a peacekeeper or are you a troublemaker? Listen to what, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scripture. I told you I was going to make you scripture drunk this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. Lead a quiet life. I say that as I'm screaming at a microphone. And attend to your own business. I don't care if you got the shot or not, but I'm also not going to broadcast that I don't care if you got the shot or not because I don't want to hurt you. You're not going to help me. I don't want to hurt you. I want to be an emblem of who Jesus was. And Jesus met a broken woman at a well and told her everything about herself. He didn't run her down the street. He let her know, I know everything, but I love you anyway. And the church needs an infusion of Holy Ghost love and appreciation for the fact that other people don't always look like you, talk like you, act like you, and decide like you, but Jesus died for them too. As you are engaging your community, going on social media, remember these words from God, 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But must be kind to everyone, able to teach not resentful. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind the believers. That's you. And I'm reminding you. They must not slander anyone. And here it is again. Must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show humility to everyone. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. 2 Timothy 2.16, however, avoid pointless discussions, for people will become more and more ungodly. You will not argue them into the kingdom of heaven. Proverbs 15.28, the heart of the godly thinks before speaking, thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Proverbs 26 and 17, interfering in somebody else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. This is an A-B conversation. See your way out of it. In Matthew 5 and 9, Jesus tells us that God blesses those people who make peace and they will be called His children. Here's the truth. Are you ready for me? to? And I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. More importantly, let me just be honest. More importantly, instead of helping you, I'm trying to help the kingdom. You cannot, will not, ever put out a fire by adding gas to it. You have to use water. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit is often symbolized by a rushing of water. You can get people pointed in the right direction and put a fire out by applying the right dosage of the Holy Spirit. But today, our nation is constantly in the middle of a firestorm. Wildfires breaking out everywhere, whether, whether it's over social injustice, whether it's over uh, 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 races at war with each other, whether it's over uh, this person's rights or that person's rights, or whether it's over the COVID virus or the vaccines. There are firestorms everywhere, and it grieves me. And if it bothers me, it has to grieve God. 
It grieves me to see people that call themselves Christians pouring gas on the flames instead of water. Everybody has a right to their own opinion about things. But as leaders, if you're a community leader, if you're a spiritual leader, if you're a business leader, and especially if you're a Christian, we should be leading by example. We should refuse to allow and promote and encourage division no matter what side you are on I heard Kevin Wallace say one of the most profound things he's a pastor in Chattanooga that I follow I heard him say one of the most profound things that I've ever heard and it'll stick with me until the day I died he said on Calvary Jesus was in the middle and on one side of him was a thief and on the other side of him was a thief in other words Jesus was in the middle and on the left there was a thief and on the right there was a thief and if you are not careful you'll miss the man in the middle the man Jesus was in the middle that means he could touch both sides from where he was the left and the right that means he wasn't for one more than he was for the other and it also means this there's thieves on both sides and sometimes we miss the man in the middle because we're we're picking up sides and Jesus Jesus wasn't on a side and if Jesus wasn't on a side what makes us think we can get away with it? We should refuse to allow ourselves to promote things. Quotes that cut people should never be on my social media. I need to demonstrate integrity with what I post. Articles I share, memes that mock and make fun of people. We're supposed to take the high road. There's supposed to be a difference between us and them. I can't say, yes, I have freedom. It's America, yes, but you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You don't belong to you. Uncle Sam didn't die for you. His name was Jesus. And you don't represent Uncle Sam. You represent him. Oh, boy, I told you I was going to get in trouble. Some things, for the sake of unity and reconciliation, are better left unsaid. You can think things without saying things. That's why delete is your best friend. Do you want our nation, do you want our communities to come together and rise up and look to Jesus? Or do you want us to stay resentful toward each other? Because you're setting the standard. You're the believers in Christ. And if you are constantly placing a line of demarcation which divides people, you're setting the standard to keep us divided. Instead of bringing, what's that? Healing? Wholeness? Which is what we're supposed to be about. I told you to get quiet in here. Let me lead you to James chapter 5. If you want to be better, I'm better than this. You're going to have to learn how to be patient. James 5, 7, and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. In two verses, he uses the word patient three times. That tells us patience is important. Being patient is a quality of character. Sometimes God is maturing you before he blesses you. Listen, he's not giving... Help me, Jesus. I've seen some of your Facebook. Ain't no wonder he don't give you a microphone. He's not going to give you a platform to hurt and injure people. He gives platforms. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. He gives platforms to folks that bring healing. And your influence is touching lives. That's why it takes patience. I have to grow into maturity. I, I can't shout my way there. I can't march my way there. I can't, I can't fall out on the floor and scream my way there. It takes patience. And last but not least, because I've out-preached my time this morning. The Bible says in James 4 and 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Submit. 
How you like that word? How you like that word submit? That's a verb that means to yield power and authority to somebody else. When you was little at home, that was mom and dad. Got into school, it was teachers. Now you're older and it's government officials, it's bosses at work, it's police officers on the street. Submit. But here's what I want to show you before I conclude. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Period. Capital R, resist the devil. I don't give a hit, I don't give an English lesson here this morning. Those are two different sentences. For, for the entirety of my Christian life, I've never heard it preached that it's two different independent thoughts. It's always been sounding like there's a comma there and that they, 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 it's the same thing. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. The Bible says that submit yourself to God, period. period. Resist capital R, resist the devil and, and he'll flee from you. In other words, resisting the devil is not a one Sunday event. You cannot, will not ever resist the devil because life started falling apart and you ran back to church had a bunch of saints pray for you in the altar. That is not resisting the devil. Know why? Because you have not first submitted yourself to God. We want to build big high. So, so when we want to quit doing something, we want to quit doing drugs. We want to quit overeating. We want to quit being mean. We, we want to stop cheating on our wives. We start putting up all these walls of saying, I'm going to quit doing something. But you have to start something before you can quit something. And the thing you have to start is submit yourselves to God. Because you have to submit before you can resist. In other words, I'm going to give myself to a good thing before I can fight the bad thing. I have to submit to godliness before I got a hope of resisting the ungodly stuff coming my way. Some of you cannot resist the devil because you have never totally submitted yourself to God. You're trying to fight a devil that has an advantage over you. You're trying to fight. Everything I've told you this morning, some of you, somewhere, one part of it will click and you'll take it out of here and you'll start applying it to your life. I, I, I have to believe that. And then, there's some of you that's done this while I was preaching. Go past that. And you're going to leave here, and before 1.30 today, your, your husband or your wife's going to say something crude to you, and you're going to break your neck telling them what is wrong with their attitude. What happened to being a master over your mouth? What happened to being kind and overcoming the flesh for the benefit of somebody else? Sounds good sitting in the pew. Pastor makes it sound so good, so lovely. But you're not going to resist that devil until you have first submitted yourself totally to God. So that brings us to a decision. That brings us to a decision. Do I want to just keep doing what I've always done and have what I've always had? Or do I want to change something? Is there something in me that I've not given to God? 
Listen, he's not impressed with your geographical location on Sunday morning. Even the devil goes to church. Pharisees went to church. He's not impressed because you got up and put on your Sunday best and made it to the house of the Lord. That don't impress him because he knows what you haven't submitted. I don't know. I look at you. You look pretty put together. If I talk to you, you sound like you got it all together. But I told you this morning, people can know Scripture and front at the same time. But God, He knows the inward parts. He knows that part of you that has never been submitted to Him. And here you are trying to fight the devil. Trying to fight an enemy, but you've never submitted everything to God. Listen, you will not be able to fight the devil that's trying to steal your marriage and, and hold on to that barracuda attitude. If you want to go all ghetto and gangster with your attitude, God will let you. But please stop asking Him to heal your marriage. Please stop asking Him to make all the people at work like you. You're always acting better than them, always trying to belittle them because they got these moral flaws and your moral flaw is out there for everybody to see. Oh, I got quiet. Please stop asking God to give you victory over a devil, but you haven't submitted the root that's causing it to prosper in your life. Because you can't hold on to that mess and have victory. No. You've got to totally submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I would have thought by now, somebody in this church, I haven't done a very good job of preaching this message. Somebody in this church, I would have thought by now, would have came to this altar and said, God, it's me again. I have to submit myself to you. I've been trying to fight the devil, but I'm fighting one-armed. I got one arm tied behind my back because I've not yet submitted this thing to you, but here I bring it. It is a love offering to you. I want to submit myself. I want to give myself to you. Every part of me, every fiber of me, my mind, my spirit, my attitude, my soul, everything. I don't want to leave here today like I came in. Your word is enough. Your spirit can make me an overcomer, and I want to come and lay it all down. Whatever it is that you haven't submitted to God, you want me to, I'll go all spiritual and start calling it out, but I don't think that benefits you. What benefits you is you swallowing your pride, getting up out of your seat, coming to this altar and saying, God, I'm laying it down. So on the count of three, that's what I want you to do. Every person in this room that knows, and, and, and go ahead and look at me. Pastor, people will be looking at me. That's right, they'll be looking at you. They'll be looking at you coming and getting a breakthrough. They'll be looking at you coming and getting a victory. They'll be looking at you coming and getting over on the devil instead of him getting over on you. You've been lying to yourself long enough. You've been praying about this mess long enough. You've been telling God that you wanted it enough, but you've just been resisting the devil, but you never fully submitted yourself to God. Today's the day. This is the day. I came in here anointed looking for a devil, and I found one, and we're about to evict him out of somebody's future. You may have had him in your past. You may have brought him in in the present, but he will not make it out of this room this morning because there's a prayer team going to gather around you and pray you through to victory. Ready on the count of three. I don't care if you're in the balcony, on the floor. I don't care if you're out in the hallway, down in the basement. It doesn't make any difference to me. On the count of three, I want you to get up, and the Holy Ghost is going to meet you in this altar, and something profound is going to happen in your life. I've been dealing with this thing all week. I've been wrestling with the devil all week, not wanting me to preach it because I knew somebody was coming through in victory. I know this ain't church like we've been having church, but this is church the way it's supposed to be, and we're back to the victory side of this mess, and we're going to see 
somebody overcome this morning. Ready? One, two, three. Get up out of your seats and get to this altar. I totally submit myself to you. I totally submit my Stephen Minister's prayer team. Uh, uh, if we've got uh, if we got staff members in the room, get up here and help somebody pray this morning. There's people up here needing a breakthrough. They ain't playing games. We need victory in this room. In the name of Jesus, saints of God, if you've got the victory, stretch your hands toward them because we're fighting demons and devils up here. In the name of Jesus, we're fighting the enemy up here on somebody's behalf. There's a war for somebody's soul. In the name of Jesus.